0: This morning, um, we're on week number five of our series, um, The Way Forward, studying the book of Exodus. And, um, and we'll be here for a little while. Are you guys okay if we hang out in Exodus for a little while? All right. And, and it's been a, a joy to, to really um, revisit Exodus. I'm familiar with the story. I've studied the book before. But uh, in, in light of, of this moment in history, in light of things that are going on in my own life, things that are going on in your life, And I think that the desire and the call or the the desire and the real um, hope and vision for why we would study this is sometimes we get a little bit stuck. Sometimes there's so many options that we don't know which way to go, Um, but we're reminded of the faithfulness of God who leads us into narrow paths, who leads us into places like a wilderness um, in order for us to be able to worship him. And that was the call for the the children of Israel, that they were in an oppressive circumstance. They were in an unjust circumstance. Some of you have faced that, maybe you currently are now, or you're in an environment where you're looking at at what's happening in the world around you going, this is unjust, and this is oppressive. But to know that there's a God who listens, and a repeated theme throughout this book is that God saw what was happening, He heard what was going on, He heard the prayers, and that He was going to do something. And sometimes, in that, as that song indicated, man, sometimes there's like a waiting process. We know he's heard. We know he sees. And we know he promises to do something. But we're like, right now would be good. Yeah? Like, like this would be a great opportunity. You know, I, I, I love it. I remember, um, many of you remember uh, Bonnie Claxton. Yeah? And, and she is so good right now in heaven. She's so good. And I'm sure Doyle and Jerry are watching, but I remember many times praying with Bonnie, and Millie, you'll attest to this. We would pray, and, and for those of you that don't know her, she um, was just a wonderful part of our congregation and suffered a stroke, and the, the results of that stroke were ongoing in her life. Um, and, and I remember her, but there was something about Bonnie, her faith never wavered. You know, as it, her life was impacted and affected so deeply. But I remember, and I love this prayer that Bonnie would pray. She would say, um, you know, we would be praying over her health, and she'd go, right now would be good, God, if you want to heal me right now, you know? And it, and it would just be this genuine expectation of God to show up, and I think that that's a posture that we can take. And I think that that's something we feel, but, but God doesn't always do that right then, right? His ways are not our ways, and, and we struggle with that process many times. And so there's a model for it here as we read in, in Exodus chapter 5, and the title of my message is, is Making Bricks Without Straw making bricks without any brick makers in the room no oh, come on jimmy you're a brick maker no, kidding. no there, there, there are uh components i thought that would be way funnier you know sometimes i you know anyways there are components to or ingredients to a brick making person that they need to use but certainly in ancient egypt you had to have straw to bind all that stuff together to make a brick right and so the um, the children of Israel, as slaves to Egypt, were given all the stuff to do it. Right? They were given the the stuff, the ingredients to make bricks, and their purpose in life was to make bricks. And they were held to the task by by um, very oppressive taskmasters who forced them to do it. Now, where we pick up in our story, though, is that. Moses had reluctantly accepted the call to be the key man in God's mission. You remember this? He had said, okay, I don't want to do it. Send somebody else. And then there was a moment that we talked about last week, a difficult passage in Scripture, where Moses realigns himself and his family with the covenant of God. And it had to do with circumcision and all kinds of difficult stuff to understand. But what we realized out of that was that God was using that as an opportunity to to realign Moses, his, his wife, and his kid, Now that they were ready to go, and he reconnects with his brother Aaron. You remember Aaron, right? And it was part of the negotiation process where Moses says, hey, I don't don't talk real good. And and God says, hey, no problem. Your brother's just fine. I'm going to reconnect you. And when we pick up the story, Moses gets with Aaron. They they have this like, you know, they're so excited to see one another. Moses tells Aaron everything that had happened. And the cool part, and it's repeated in there, is that Moses not only says, hey, I, hey by the way, I saw God in a bush that burnt but didn't, wasn't consumed, and he gave me his name. He, he tells all that, but then he demonstrates the power of God. He shows him, this is what God, like, check out my staff. Serpent, it up by the dead, it's a staff again, right? Like, can you imagine that? Like, it's one thing if someone tells you something crazy that God did. And I believe that God can do any crazy thing he wants to do that would blow our minds. It's another thing when they demonstrate it. And the power of God was demonstrated to Aaron. And then they go together. And then they go and they tell the elders and the the, the people of Israel who are enslaved. Now, you want to talk about a moment of hope, right? A moment of hope where it's like, I've heard that God has heard about us. I've been praying to Him. But now He's sending you guys, and you guys come with some credentials. And your credentials are, you can do miraculous stuff. And you can do it on command. I mean, that is just fantastic, right? Right? Right! Let's read Exodus chapter 4 and 29. It says, Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered all the elders of the people of Israel, And Aaron spoke the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And he did the signs in the sight of the people. I just wish I could have been there for something like that, right? Like, check it out. If Pharaoh says no the first time, I'm going to do this. If he says no the second time, I'm going to do this, right? And then you're seeing these things happen. Fantastic. And check out verse 31. And you might even want to underline this first few words. It says, and the people believed. And the people believed. There's a pattern throughout the Old Testament, or excuse me, the New Testament, and when the Holy Spirit just comes on the scene and empowers the church that through many miracles, people believed, through signs and wonders, people believed. Uh, why was it that a great crowd followed Jesus? Because they were seeing that he was able to do impossible things. When you see a, a lame man walk, that's an impossibility. When you see a blind man see, that's an impossibility. And and Jesus did this on a regular basis. He demonstrated it. And then the apostles did the same. Uh, Peter doing miracles. Paul doing miracles. You remember the, the story of Paul preaching? I mean, sometimes you guys might think that I drone on and on. But Paul spoke on and on until one young guy was just like, whoa, falls out the window and dies. Imagine posting that on your social media, like just your live feed, like, whoa, do you stick the camera down there? Like, what do you do? And, and, and Paul goes and prays over him, and he comes back to life, right? Like, that would grow the church. I remember there's a, there's a pastor in the community, and, um, and he said, all you need to do to, to start a church is just get a miracle. Just get a miracle, you know, he was like, don't worry so much about trying to advertise and let everyone know what's going on. Just get a miracle. People will find out and they will show up. And this is not like hype. This is the reality of scripture that there is a miracle working God who does impossible things. And sometimes we forget that because we're so limited to our realm of possibility. I mean, let's be honest. Are we not limited to our realm of possibility? And sometimes there's a finish line that we set. I'm done. I I don't know what to do. I can't do it. There's an obstacle there that I can't overcome. And let me give you the whole point of my sermon today is that that is the very point that we have have a, a choice. When we feel like it's a done deal, when we feel like I've got all the bad news that I could take, it's either the opportunity that we have to go, I'm out. Or it's the opportunity for us as the people of God to be reminded and go, okay, cool. Now there's no opportunity. Now it's impossible. I am a great candidate for a miracle. This is where God steps in. Do you see the two different mindsets? I'm not sure if you do. I I, I think on the daily, we're faced with that. On the daily, when we look at our society, on the daily, when we look at our challenges in relationships, and when we look at our challenges in the workplace— We sometimes pull the plug before it's time. We sometimes wave the the flag of I'm done before it's time. Because sometimes and oftentimes and certainly in the story of the children of Israel, when they thought they were done, God was just getting started. And so maybe if you feel like you're done and maybe you feel like this is an impossible moment, I want to encourage you that God's probably just getting started if you'll let him. And so the people believed at that moment When things go good, we believe, man. When we're getting miracles, we believe. When we have financial provision, like, whoa, we believe. When someone gets healed, we believe. And then they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, and they bowed their heads and they worshiped. So not only did they believe, but I'll tell you what, when you're feeling it, your worship rocks, right? When you're feeling it, you're just like super Pentecostal, man. you're like on your toes, you're... You know, you're ready to dance. When when you're not feeling it, and when you're questioning what God's up to, your worship is impacted as well. And so we see that here, that all was good in Exodus chapter four, and then we get into Exodus chapter five. And how many of you know that so many times things get worse before they get better? Come on. How many of you know that so many times things get worse before they get better? You're just like winning. Everything's rad, and then Exodus chapter five, and so I don't know what Aaron and Moses were thinking. if I were Aaron and Moses and I get I get caught in this trap all the time. I envision what I see going ahead, and when it doesn't go like I think it should go. I get so bummed out. I'm thinking God's on my side. He spoke to me in a burning bush. I can do super cool miracles. I'm just going to go let Pharaoh know what's up, and Pharaoh's going to be like, all right. Let them go, right? That's the process I'm certain that Moses and Aaron were thinking, and they reveal it a little bit later. They go to Pharaoh, and guess what? Pharaoh doesn't like this option. He's not into it, right? He, um, he in fact, let's, let's, let's read. It says, the same day. So they say, Pharaoh, um, you know, God wants his people to be able to go like three days into the wilderness so that they can worship him. Great, great idea. And then Pharaoh's response is, the same day Pharaoh commands the taskmasters and the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go get straw for themselves. Verse 8 says, but the number of bricks that they've made in the past, you shall impose on them. So in other words, they still got to do everything they were doing before. Now they have more work. And then he says to them, you shall by no means reduce it for they are idle. Therefore they, therefore they cry, let us go offer sacrifice to our God. He's mocking. And then in verse 9 it says, let heavier work be laid on the men um, that, they, that they may labor and pay no regards to these lying words. F- Pharaoh's got no love for God. Pharaoh's got no understanding. He's got a hardened heart is what he's got. And so when he hears these things, he's just like, this is baloney. I'm not even dealing with it. You guys go. You, you want to bring this garbage to me? You go work harder. Now, Put yourself in the shoes of those that just a moment ago were like their worship was super extended and their hearts were full of belief in God. Now, how do they feel? I mean, how would you feel? The suffering was real. It wasn't like they were just thinking or hearing news of what could happen. This call of God, this mission of God, these words that Moses brought deeply impacted impacted their life. It made them work harder. And then when they couldn't deliver, it got them beaten, right? The suffering was real. And so before, we, before I impose this or before you might go, why couldn't they just believe and trust God? What they were experiencing was tremendous in terms of persecution, and they were already wiped out. And you want to talk about that term, like, kick them while they're down? They were getting booted. The next portion of Scripture um, it reveals not only the, the heart of the people, but their heart towards Moses and Aaron. How many of you know that people are fickle? You know that term fickle, right? The crowd is fickle. That, that people can turn their opinions very quickly from like, you're awesome, to I hate your guts, right? And so, so now they've, the people have pleaded with Pharaoh. They're like, come on, Pharaoh, do us a solid. He's like, no way, no way. And then they go back to their leaders, the ones who offered them hope, the ones who proclaim that God is up to something and even showed them that God was up to something. And when they come back to them, um, they say to, they meet with Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. And as they came out from Pharaoh, they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge you because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh. And that's good writing. Holy Spirit brings us, right? You made us the stench. We stink to Pharaoh. He hates us even more. And then he goes on to say, um, the Lord judge you because you've made us to stink to the side of Pharaoh and his servants, and you have, you have put a sword in their hands to kill us. Instead of what you promised, instead of this freedom and these demonstrations of power, you've given them more tools to oppress us. It's a quick turnaround from belief. Verse 22 says, And then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered the people at all. Are you, catch, are you, are you with me where the story's at? Things didn't just get a little worse before they got better. This is like, womp, womp, womp. This is, God, you said you were going to do something, and you're not doing it at all. How many of you can say that you've had these conversations with God yourself, whether it's specifically in prayer, whether it's in your head or in your heart, God, you said you'd do it. You're not doing that. In fact, not only did you not do that, but you've done worse. I can't tell you, and, and, and I've shared this before, when a, when a person comes to Christ for the first time, I love it. It's, it is what we're all about, the gospel essential to the purpose of the church. And when somebody comes to Christ, how often have you heard this? My life was great until I accepted Jesus. Then everything started falling off. The wheels started falling off. I can't get drunk anymore and enjoy it. I can't party with my friends. Every, you know, it's like these, I have tests and trials now. And sometimes you hear people say, I'm, so, I'm in such a conundrum because I know the truth, but it was so much easier over here. Come on. And so we, we, we take all of that and, and we, we process it and go, God, what are you saying to us in this moment, in this way forward, right? And I would say to you that I believe that, that what our obstacle is, is our concepts of God. What our obstacle is, is our ability to process what we know about God when we're facing serious, significant trials. I'm not just talking about someone bummed me out or, you know, they cut me off on the freeway. I'm talking about when you have been reduced to an, 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 just like like you can't do anything. You've been faced with an unjust situation. When, when somebody is, is after you, when there's persecution, these are the things that I'm talking about. And, and this is when it counts for us to know who our God is. And fortunately, we know the whole story of Exodus. We know that God's just getting started when the situation gets impossible. And so uh, I, I wanna just kind of cut to the chase. I wanna keep my time short because I do know that we have um, this meeting planned and I wanna give us time for that. But I, I read in a leadership book Um, about the the process of teams being um, established together. And there's a a process that you can track. How many of you work with teams in your workplace or in your school or whatever else, right? And so when when you have a new team that's getting started, I'm not talking about one that's gelling, but when it's a new team, there's a process that you find in it. And the analogy is is as a ship goes, right? And the, the first part of the team is forming the team. And that's usually super fun, Right? Usually, like, you know, the the team gets together. Hey, man, what's your name? Oh, yeah, man, high five, whatever. Like, you're all stoked. It's like, all aboard, here we go. We're going to do this great thing together. And, man, the the person with all the energy is just driving the energy of everybody else. And, like, we're going to nail it in sails. Or we're going to do whatever. Like, everything, whatever it is. So that's the first stage. The second stage, remember, now think about a ship. So you're forming. And then the next stage is called storming right? Storming is all about conflict. That's when you're like, that guy's a jerk. You know what I mean? Like you're, the people begin to see things in one another's personalities, and there's conflict that happens. And in the book, it, 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 it says this, that is the point where most teams fall apart. Have you ever had a team fall apart? And it's when that conflict occurs. But then it, then it says that the next step after forming and storming, where you begin to deal with your worldviews, you deal with like, how you look at, at conflict, you get into what's called norming, right? Pretty clever. So norming is the ship is now set right. And as the ship is set right, it launches you into a season of performing. And that's why people do things in teams, right? Is because you can get so much more done when you've worked through that stuff and you go on and you do great things, uh, I, I had the privilege of being mentored by one of, uh, just a great leader in, in missions, and he has a similar, um, a, a similar model, and, and it's probably more biblical in regards to how he looks at it, and that's that when you have vision from God, and when God puts something in your heart, he says, this great thing's going to happen. But there's this initial excitement. How many of you have had vision from God? And man, you've written in your journal. And it's so clear. And you can see forward what God's going to do. Right? Have you been there before? Come on, make me feel better. Come on, raise your hand. Thank you. And, And so... That's the, this first stage of the vision is called the birth of a vision. Everybody likes a new baby. If you don't like a new baby, there's something wrong with you. So when 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 you see a baby, you want to pick it up and hold it, and you're like, check out the baby, and the baby's awesome, right? And 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 at this birth of a vision, man, you can see and hear and know God's going to do awesome stuff. And the next phase of the birth of the vision, which follows the dynamics of of cycles in scripture is called the death of the vision and that's no fun right at the death of the vision is where it's like hmm things aren't going like they were supposed to go like i had my journal all written out i knew that i had a team we had a meeting you know Um, we had words from the Lord and why aren't we being effective and why is this thing not happening? And what he says in those times where there's a death of a vision, it's not God that's killing stuff. It's Well, it is God. It's God who's purifying the vision. In in other words, God is getting the you out of the vision because we hear some stuff from God, but we hear it and we see it through our lenses. And that's what's happening here. God said he was going to show up. God said he was going to deliver us. It's going to be like today at 430. I know it. But now they're experiencing this death of a vision. And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you're in the middle of it right now. And sometimes that death of a vision has to do with expectations that we place upon our kids. Sometimes it has expectations that we place upon a spouse. Sometimes it's about a ministry that we're certain that God's called us to that's going to transform the whole world. You know, there is a time where God just brings us to a place of I want to show you who I am and I want to show you who you are. And at the, at the point of the death of the vision is where so many people give up. But what he says about that is that is your launching point. Because we serve a God of what? Resurrection power. That when something dies, it, and Jesus talked about it and then he modeled it. That when something dies, it raises again. And, and so many times in that testing process, Okay, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in the workplace or ministry or whatever else, so many times in that testing process is when we go, I'm out, right? I quit, I'm never doing ministry again, people are ridiculous, I blah, 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 I'm going to find a new career, I'm going to buy a boat, like whatever it is, it's going to make you happy. And, and he says, and he gives many examples both biblically and throughout those that, that he has ministered with, that those who remain strong in the death of the vision experience the resurrection, and the resurrection purifies the vision. Is this making any sense to you? So I want to bring this maybe down to um, to where we're at right now, and, and um, just with the time that I have remaining, I just had such a great week this week, just being with people. You know, I've learned this about, and I've heard this from other wiser pastors that would say, you know, the sermon is so important, and studying it is so important. And sometimes we, we, we don't do other things because we carve out that time to study, and we should. And I study, and I know Andy studies, and Scott studies. And, but, but so much of the sermon comes from the experience of pastoring and being around people. You know, and, and recognizing and seeing what God is up to. And so I, I had the opportunity to be in a, a, a kind of an all day meeting. Connie was in that meeting with me, and it was for one of the missions that we support that I have the privilege of being on the board for. And, and it's a ministry that is in Latin America. And uh, I didn't know until you know, shortly before the meeting that uh, one of the denominational leaders was going to be at that meeting as well from the nation of Cuba. And um, and I want to tell you that I, I, I was, I'm new to the board, so I was nominated the secretary. Like, when you're new, you get to be the secretary. So I was doing this the whole time. But, but as I was taking the minutes, I was going, oh, my gosh, like, just listening to this account of what's happening in Cuba. Now, if you want to talk about a moment in history where, if you're the church in Cuba, you feel like this is impossible, okay, um, we heard from Charles a few weeks ago about what's happening in India. And what's happening in India, and I'm not, I'm just for the sake of comparison from what I heard. What's happening in Cuba makes what's happening in India look easy. Okay? I, I mean, here, here's a, would, you, would that be fair, Connie? When you hear the account, firsthand account, of a pastor who says, you know, he's an older gentleman, and he's been, he's lived through, Castro, and now he's living through Raul, his brother, who is a communist leader of a small communist island that is very isolated. And when he says things like, I've never seen the economy so bad, he says, we don't have food. Not that food is scarce, that we don't have food, and that it is an illicit, uh, it's a a crime to share your food or to buy food. Okay, this is the, the horror of communism. Our economy is so bad that we don't have electricity throughout the day. That means that we don't have any ability to cool things. We don't have any ability to keep things. And that disease is thriving. So not only do we deal with COVID, but we deal with dengue fever. We deal with all the things in a tropical, hot climate that would lead towards death. So we're experiencing tremendous amount of death. Not only is all that true, but then we also experience... Uh, for the last 20 months, a lockdown. And, and and what he said was their lockdown makes it illegal to leave. And if you, um, just to give you an idea that in their nation, in this moment in time, that there is not a judge, jury, and court system, there is a, a police officer who can say, you're not there, you don't have your mask on. For example, if your mask is under your mouth, it's like a I don't know, 3,500 peso fine, which is like 190 bucks, which is probably more than the annual income of people, right? And that's an on-the-spot fine. And if you choose not to do it and you choose not to put it over your mouth, then um, you will be taken to prison. So you bypass the entire court system five years. Okay, I'm not telling you stuff that I read on the internet. I'm telling you first-hand account. You want to talk about what feels impossible. You want to talk about what feels like you said, God, that you will build your church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Where are you? Well, let's get real. And so, so then he begins to tell uh, another story. So he goes, Here, let me paint the picture of what life like, is like in Cuba right now. And then he tells the story of favor that he had with an official that granted him legal access to travel. He had a piece of paper that said, and there's a whole story about it, but he had a piece of paper that allowed him to go and physically visit churches in poorer areas. He says, praise God, isn't God faithful? Then he tells the story of a gathering of of, of pastors and, and leaders from 25 different congregations and stretching across all different kinds of denominations. Now, I would say here in Orange I've been very spoiled. We have been able to minister interdenominationally for many years. That's not the case in most nations, especially in Latin America, and it's not the case in many cities. But in this place, in this time in Cuba, because of the desperation, leaders have gotten together, and they get together online on a weekly basis, and they share their hearts with one another. They pray together. They minister. He goes, the unity in the church is as it's never been before. And then he says... We've been able to stay in contact with our people through texting, right? And you might think, well, you know, I wish my kid wouldn't text so much. It's not like that. That is the only form of communication they've had. And what's beautiful about that, he affirmed all of us in the room, and he said, you know, and, and I would affirm you that your giving goes towards this, that because you gave, we we have been able to receive a, 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 the the fee that it costs to text. Because if you can imagine Economy shut down. Food shut down. Who's paying cell phone bills? And if you shut down that communication, you begin to to kind of mess up the church. He talked about social issues that are coming and impacting the church. But what he said was that he thanked us and said, we are able to stay strong together and unified because... The body of Christ outside understands and knows what's going on. John, who is Connie's brother, has been faithfully there just to, we hear you, we know what's going on, we're going to get the word out, we're praying. Here's, here's the finances that you need in order to keep, in, keep the church in communication with one another. And all that was awesome, and all that was great. But then he began to say this, and this was the, the statement that changed it all for me, because on my heart was heavy. I mean, I was going like this, you know. But my heart was heavy as I was hearing these things. And he said, in all of these things, and there was more, in all of these things, we have not stopped preaching the gospel. We have not stopped preaching the message of eternal life through Jesus Christ. You want to talk about a moment where that is probably the most relevant message that anyone can hear? Like, this is terrible, but there is a hope that awaits you that is far greater than this. And then he said, we will never stop preaching the gospel, and we will never stop being Pentecostals. That's what he said. (laughs) I was like, yes, and and here's hope for you, and here's hope for the church in Cuba. He said that that God works in all of the sudden, and God works in suddenlies. Do you follow me? Do you remember in the second chapter of Acts, and they're together worshiping, and then all of the sudden, Holy Spirit shows up, game changer? It's more than one time that it says this, and, and he was saying with a smile on his face, and there wasn't much to smile about, you know? But with a smile on his face at that point, he said, we are anxiously awaiting the suddenly. Are you anxiously awaiting the suddenly? Because I will tell you that there is is an all of the sudden that's about to happen in each one of our lives. Why? Not because I'm I'm like hyping you up, because I know my God, and you know your God. He who promised is faithful. He who began a good work, he's faithful to complete it. And so when when I share these things, I just, I share them with a a hope that you don't go, oh man, it's worse in Cuba than in India. No, that there is a promise that there is a church that God is building globally. And regardless of COVID, regardless of economic crisis, regardless of, of persecution and suffering, that that church will be built and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that is a powerful message that we need to remember, that that church that I'm talking about isn't a building, it's you. He's building you. He's building me. And he's reminding us of who he is, that regardless of circumstance, he's faithful. So the question becomes, what do I do with the impossible? What do I do with the impossible? And I think that it, it, it comes to us as a, um, a challenge I wrote down some application questions. Um, Do I quit when things storm? Do I quit when things storm? Do I give up when vision seems dead? Or do I see impossibilities like making bricks without straw as opportunities for the power of God to be revealed? God's up to something bigger. In In the case of the children of Israel, he showed up big time. But God has a pattern throughout scripture. And I just wrote down a few that just came to my mind Pretty quickly. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. Um, and I want to sing that song that you were singing, that I give thanks. Because I don't ever know. know all that. Okay. Um, that Goliath was an impossible adversary. Right? Wouldn't you say? I mean, come on. Yeah. Huge. And, and, and an entire army is shaking in their boots. But David has the reality of a God who does impossible stuff all the time. He's just like, and I love his mock. It fits the theme of last week's sermon. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would mock the God of the universe, right? And David slays Goliath, an impossible moment. Jericho had impossible and impossible barrier of a wall if you do the math on on the thickness and the height of that wall it was impenetrable and yet God commands his children to shout and the wall comes tumbling down Gideon faced an impossible army so large and God whittles down a bunch of people who are willing to break pots and say for God and for Gideon and God does an impossible thing Paul was faced with the impossibility, I love this one, of a shipwreck, and then he gets bit by a viper, a, a highly poisonous snake. And, he, and, and I, lo- I could just picture Paul, he's say, making the fire, the viper launches on him, he's, like, <gasps> he's dead. He goes like this. Okay, and what, what I was saying was blah, 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 right? That would be just such a Paul moment. Impossible. The disciples were faced with the impossibilities of a mission without extra gear. They weren't to bring anything. But what do they come back saying? Man, even the, even the demons were subject to us. Like it's, it, it, they were coming back going, you asked us to go and do something that we're not capable of with, without all our stuff. I traveled quite a bit in my younger years and I always loved my stuff. Like don't mess with my backpack. And my, we didn't even have our stuff. And it worked. People were getting healed. The dead you know, they were impacted. The demons were fleeing. You know, and then Jesus says, don't, don't celebrate over that. Celebrate that you're loved by me, that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But the reality of it is, it worked, and it was impossible. We're going to sing this song as a way of application today. And, and, and we come into our seasons with gratitude. I mean, I think that we can come into it with like a bubblegum kind of gratitude, like I'm thankful for the sky, I'm thankful for the waves. And, and I'm, not, I'm not mocking you in that, but I'm saying, it sounded very mocky, I apologize. But, but what I'm saying is that as we come into a season of gratitude, maybe we can go, okay, where it counts, God, I'm thankful that you haven't failed me in this impossible situation. In fact, God, Thank you that you put me in an impossible circumstance because now I'm a candidate to see your power at work because I can't do anything, but I need to keep trusting you that only you can do it. James chapter one, verse two through four becomes like a verse that makes a lot of sense in this context. It's one that you may have heard uh, when you've gone through a tough time and your friend goes, oh, I got a verse for you. But but, but I want to tell you this, when we're singing this song, I want to ask you maybe to go a little deeper and I'm going there with you that I would count it all joy when I meet trials of various kinds. For I know that the testing of my faith in produces steadfastness. And I want to let steadfastness have its full effect, that I may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so I'd invite you to stand with me, and, and I'd invite you to, to think about all of this as you're singing this song of gratitude and worship to God, and that you would come with a sacrifice of praise going, okay, God, Right now would be a great time for that all of the sudden. That you would live as the people of God on the edge of your seat going, I'm anxious. Yes, some stuff is really bad. But I am anxiously awaiting the all of the sudden. Don't forget the suddenlies of our God. Don't forget what he's capable of doing. And let that drive your faith. Let that drive your gratitude. And don't quit. Don't give up. It's not time for that. The the, the, the church is thriving The church is thriving because it cannot be squashed. It cannot happen. As long as it stays central to its purpose, the gospel, the gates, the very gates of hell cannot prevail against his church. Amen? Amen. Let's sing this song together. We give thanks to you. We give thanks to you in our weakness, knowing that in our weakness, you become really strong. Lord, we offer our lives to you, living sacrifices. We don't just give you words of gratitude, but we offer our lives as a way of saying thank you. God, even in those areas, we don't understand your timing. We don't understand what you're up to. We refuse to give up in trusting and believing in the faithfulness of our God, a God who does and demonstrates his power on earth and does miraculous things, who does the impossible. And may, Lord, you do the impossible in the lives of your people today. Lord, those that have have heard these words and their hearts are impacted, Lord, at whatever level this has reached them, I pray, God, that you would reaffirm and reassure them of your character and your nature, that you are who you say you are. Lord, that your grace would carry them through suffering, God, your grace would carry them through difficulty that just like our friend from Cuba with a smile on their face, they can say, yep, I'm waiting for that all of a sudden. And may our faith never be shaken. May we be unwavering in our belief that you're about to move. Bless your people today, God. Strengthen them, encourage them. Minister to them, Lord. Minister to relationships that are are feeling dead. Lord, that it's not maybe the moment to give up, but it's the moment to see resurrection power. Lord, minister to those who have vision for ministry that feels dead and feels impossible and feels like there's no way it could happen. Minister to that moment and and give grace for resurrection where you bring about what you really intended from the very beginning. Lord, realign our lives, our dreams, our hopes, our vision for the future. Realign it with you and your will because we're your children, we're your servants, you're our God, you're our master, you're our father, and we trust you. So why should we worry? Bless your people today, God, I pray. Strengthen them, I ask, in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. amen, amen. God bless you. about the meeting. If you are going to stay, uh, go grab some great snacks that are there and then come right on back in in a few minutes. God bless you.
1: Thank mm-hmm. you.
2: that you